Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that He gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. If you would raise your hand if um, at some point in your life you, you find yourself here today singing Worthy is His Name or Hallelujah for the things that He has done. If you find yourself in this place because of someone or maybe multiple someones in your life or previously at some point in your life talk to you about Jesus. If, if that is you, someone or multiple someone talked to you about Jesus before you came in here this morning, would you raise your hand? Keep them up for a second. I want you to look around. And I want you to, to let that set in your mind as we talk for the next few minutes. Just, just let that ruminate for a bit. So we're, we're in the final week of why he came, the message series, why he came. And today, we're going to end up landing in John chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead as I prepare to recap the last three weeks, I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to spend the majority of the morning in that chapter. But again, I'm going to recap. So the first week, Pastor Don shared with us about a problem. And it's a problem that every single one of us has. That problem is a sin problem. Every one of us is sinful. And then the following week, we would have Pastor Tim come up here. And in the time that that he was given, he did an amazing job of walking us through Genesis to Revelation, and he told us the story about how all throughout Scripture, you will find that it points to an individual, and that individual is Jesus Christ, and that he would one day come to earth, put on flesh, become man, to then be um, persecuted and crucified on a cross. Three days later, he he would be put into a tomb, and three days later, he would walk out of that tomb to then ascend to heaven to be next to his father. And it doesn't end there, but that there would be a second coming, that Jesus will come again. And that all of that is God's promise and God's provision for our sin problem. And then last week, Pastor Mike, he came up here and he shared with us about God's purposes or Christ's purposes. And most specifically, he wanted to talk about the fact that Jesus came down from heaven, God came from heaven, put on flesh to be among us. He used the word Emmanuel. And that, yes, one day, if we so choose to believe and ask God to be our Savior, we will spend eternity with God. And that's an amazing thing. But that not to allow that to overshadow that God is with us now, but that we are to be able to enjoy God with us even now. So hopefully you've started turning to John chapter 4. And we're going to read a, a large section of this. And I'm going to be walking through this story that we see here in John chapter 4. And what's going to happen is you'll see that I'm going to overlap. There's going to be some, maybe some uh, interweaving of what the pastors in the previous three weeks talked about. And I, and I ask you to bear with me on that. But there, that we're going to get to a point. That I will, I promise you, I will, by the end of it, I will land that plane. There's, there's going to be some turbulence in the process. And so if you'll bear with me in it, I promise we'll land the plane. And hopefully, and I pray that what I, what I hope to get across this morning, that you will hear, especially those that need to hear it. So if you're in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, 
I need a drink before we start because this is going to be a minute. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize him, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was, was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this, well, it's very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it then that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? While we Samaritans, we claim it is here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship. And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming... Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of, them, none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or, why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples... They were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. Did, but Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did, did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God, who sent me, and from finishing his work. 
You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the, fil- from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. Long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. I think, I believe, there are three things that stick out to me, at least in this story. Again, this is not conclusive. These are just three things that I take away from this. The very first of this would be that this is the longest recorded conversation that you guys just sat through and listened. This is the longest recorded conversation that Jesus has with anyone in Scripture. And that includes his disciples, mind you. So if it's the longest recorded conversation, one of the things that I take away from that is that it highlights the fact that this points out to why Jesus came. That this conversation isn't just some random conversation. Right? There's, there, there's importance to it. The second would be the placement of the story. Now, if you've read John, you would know that in John chapter 3, there's another conversation that's recorded there. And in that conversation, Jesus is having a conversation with a man. And it's in the middle of the night. He is talking with a man, and he's a named man. His name is Nicodemus. That man is an influential man. He is a moral man. He's a religious man. But, but this conversation that we just read, we read about a conversation that he's having with somebody in the middle of the day. And it's with a woman who's also unnamed. And the highlight of her story is just that she had an immoral past. And, and you can almost feel the tension between these two stories, and I don't think it's by chance that these two stories are next to each other. Right? So, so, the thir- so with that, we talk about her immoral past. Again, the contrast of those two stories, they remind us, why Jesus came, and the story of Nicodemus, what that story teaches us is that there is no one who is beyond the need of God's grace. As a religious moral man, he still needed God's grace. And the story of this unnamed woman at the well, this one highlights to us that there is no one beyond the reach, that no matter where we are, we are not beyond his reach. So these two stories and the proximity of them are important. But then the third thing is, is that John reveals to us the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and, and this story, most specifically, is that Jesus is the Son of God who came to save sinners. So here, we meet an unnamed woman at a well, and she believes in and on Jesus Christ. And as a result, she receives salvation for this. So let's, let's start in verse 3. So he left Judea and he returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. It was a custom for those in in this time 
for Jewish individuals to not take a direct route through Samaria. So if you look at a map, and we're going to look at a picture in a minute, if you look at a map, you have Judea at the bottom, Samaria smack dab in the middle, our God has a sense of humor, and then we have Galilee at the top. But most Jews would not take the trip directly through Samaria, and there's reason for this. Historically, over 700 years prior to this conversation, there's an Assyrian army that comes in and takes some of the Israelites captive from the northern kingdom of Israel. And those Israelites that they take captive, they intermarry with some of the Assyrians. And their offspring, the children of those intermarried individuals, are neither fully Jewish or fully Gentile. And this, this was an issue for Jews. It's laid out for them in Scripture. And not only was it an issue, they, they went so far as to call them half-breeds. And that's only one of the reasons why. But just to kind of paint a little picture of what was in the mind of those who would not take the direct route to go through Samaria. So if we look at this map here, again I said you have Judea at the bottom, Galilee up top. Here's Samaria right in the middle. So... Jewish individuals did not get along with the Samaritans. So they would choose to instead, they would cross the Jordan River if they were making this trip. They would hike up and they would cross the Jordan River again to get into Galilee. Jesus chose not to do that that day. Jesus took the direct route through Samaria. He, he took this direct route not because it was the shortest route, but because Jesus was on a mission and Jesus had a woman that he was going to meet in Samaria on that day. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. So we find Jesus halfway through his journey. I think historians say if you're to take the direct route, that's about a three-day trip. So it's about a day and a half into his trip. Middle of the day, Jesus is sitting at the well, wearily. Now, I, in my imagination, I believe that there's a well that's constructed with some stones, and it's casting shadow. And Jesus is, in the middle of the day, trying to creep around with the shadow just to stay cool. And that's just in my imagination. It's not recorded in Scripture. You can, that's just a freebie. But I imagine that he's doing that. But I also know that even just the fact that it says he's sitting there wearily, it points to Jesus' humanity. What, what Mike taught, Pastor Mike talked about last week, that God came to be with us. We do not have a God who doesn't know how to sympathize with us. He was sitting at this well wearily. And as he's doing that, as he's sitting there, there's a woman from Samaria, and she's coming out to collect her water for the day. And it was typically, it was typically a woman's job, or, or her, it was part of her responsibilities to go and collect water, but they would do it at an earlier hour in the day, not in the middle of it when it was completely hot. But here we find that in the middle of the day, at the, at the most heat, she's coming out alone. And I believe she's not expecting to meet anybody there, as it has been the case in the previous days, in the previous years, for that matter. But there's Jesus waiting for her. What we're seeing play out is that Jesus, the Son of God, who has come to save sinners, is willing to cross any barriers to reach the lost. Jesus spoke to the woman. He was the first one to speak, and he says, give me a drink. 
And I think if, again, using our imagination, if we were that woman and we went to the well to collect our water for the day and we saw someone not expecting anybody to be there, I know I would have. My eyes would have been down and I would have been there to collect the water. I wasn't going to engage in conversation. But Jesus wouldn't do that. The way that Jesus is and only Jesus can do it, he started a conversation and said, give me a drink. Now remember, also at the same time, the disciples are not there with him. They had gone into the city to get some food, so it's just Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well when he asked her for that drink. Now, we don't even have to guess really at her awkwardness or maybe even the strangeness as, as she hears this individual ask her for a drink because, again, we have it recorded for us. The woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, why are you asking me for a drink? What started out as a simple request for water is this, is this scandalous thing that's it's really quite scandalous on multiple levels. And the first level is that there's a Jewish individual asking a Samaritan individual for some water. And to add to that, you have a man asking a woman for some water, which was, again was not culturally acceptable. But then you put the two together, you combine it, and you compound how awkward it is. You have a Jewish man asking a Samaritan woman for a drink. Again, to indicate how Jesus will do anything, cross any barriers to reach the lost. Are we? Are we willing to cross any barriers to reach the lost? Notice how Jesus, though, he shifts the next paragraph from asking her for a drink of water to actually offering her some water. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Jesus shifts it to something completely deeper, right? He's, he's telling her that this is, this is water that is, is deeper, it is greater, it is more lasting than what you will find in Jacob's well. It's a water that will quench our deepest thirst, and it's eternal. Look again how it's described. The gift God has for you. We're told it's a gift from God. It's not something that she has to work for. Salvation, you guys, is not something that we obtain through our works. It's clearly here that it's a gift from God. We receive it through his grace. Now, Jesus said to her, this living water, it can be your gift, but there's a couple stipulations that he gives to the Samaritan woman in this. I'll highlight them. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you the living water. So the two stipulations are new and ask. To receive the living water, you must know what the gift of God is. You must know Jesus Christ. And if you know Jesus Christ, you must ask. Salvation is free for the asking. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. This, this asking is significant because, you guys, many of us, we don't even recognize that the nature of our thirst, the thirst that we have, that, 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 that we try to quench that in all of the wrong places. 
The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. The first, they have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Isaiah 55, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. If you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. It's just milk here. Um, just so you guys know, there's no wine, but it is milk here. It's all free. Just again, another free. Jesus says that the gift of God, of living water, is free for the asking if we will know him. So the woman, she's at this point, she's still not quite understanding the magnitude of what Jesus is talking about. I mean, naturally, she's still even perplexed by the simple question for water, but she's standing next to the well, thinking about that well specifically as she responds to Jesus in the next few verses. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well, it's very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirst, excuse me, thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. In these four verses, Jesus declares the source and the nature of this living water. He is talking about heavenly spiritual things. And unfortunately, the Samaritan woman is still thinking about the earthly, worldly things. She's still, again, thinking about the water in the well that they are standing next to. And, and Jesus knows this, again, only as Jesus does and does so well. He knows this and acknowledges it by saying, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. And that, that is the absolute reality of what the world has to offer any one of us. It doesn't last, right? Whoever drinks of what the world offers, you will be thirsty again. This, but this is the good news of the sufficiency of Jesus. Only Jesus satisfies our human need, especially when it comes to the deep need of our soul. So whoever comes to him, whoever knows him, and whoever asks of him, they will not be thirsty again. It becomes, as we read here, a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus alone, only Jesus offers this living water that is both internal and eternal. He offers us the gift of God, and he offers us himself, and he offers us his Holy Spirit. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. And meanwhile, back at the well, Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Jesus told her, go and get her husband. Like, she's just beginning to get a taste. Her tongue has been, her, her mind, her heart has been wet with this living water. And Jesus hits her with, Go get your husband. 
right? It's, it's where any of us, if we were to choose, would fill in the blank, right? It, it could be where, where God or Jesus tells us, go get your fill in the blank. And you know what that fill in the blank is. I don't even know, I don't even need to give you some examples. For each one of you, you have your own fill in the blank. Go get your. But Jesus said to this woman, go get your husband. And it's a place that, that many of us will find ourselves at some point where the good news of the salvation that Jesus is talking about, it's met with the bad news of our sinfulness. We have to embrace that we are sinners for us to understand the good news of this salvation. For us to, to recognize what a tremendous Savior Jesus Christ is, we have to first recognize what tremendous sinners we are. Jesus confronts the woman right where she is at. And that happened to be, go get your husband. She hears that. Now, we don't know whether she paused, she took a few minutes, she was aghast. She's like, um, we don't know what happened there, but we do know that she does reply at some point, I have no husband. Here, again, in that one statement, Jesus exposes, he confronts, he even puts his finger on the problems that exist in this Samaritan woman's life. She's been trying to find satisfaction in the broken cisterns that we read about. She's had five husbands, whether through death or divorce. And the one she is currently with isn't even her husband. So Jesus confronts her with the reality of her broken life, of her sinful past. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming, indeed, it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Notice how she tries to shift the conversation away from the pesky details of the husband. Right? And before we judge her, every one of us are probably victim of this as well. We would have done the same thing. However, Jesus continues to meet her where she is at. And Jesus is essentially telling the woman that true worship, it's not about where you are. True worship is not about what you think. That Jesus declares that in this, right here, God is spirit, right? So God cannot, he will not be confined to our places. He will not be confined to our rituals. God will not be confined to any of our customs. God is spirit and those who worship him must also worship him in spirit and truth. And Jesus is saying that this woman, that you must worship on God's terms, and for us today, we must worship on God's terms. We do not worship on our own terms. Her understanding is developing even more and more here. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. This is one of the unique, clear declarations of Jesus saying he is the Messiah in Scripture. And I could be wrong on this, but I even believe it's the very first time he declares he's the Messiah. And he chooses to do it 
to this Samaritan woman, someone who would be absolutely despised by anybody, not just the Jewish community, but even her own community. Jesus says, I am. The one you are looking for, you're looking at. The one you are talking about, you're talking to. You are talking to I am. I am he. Jesus is the great I am. He is fully God and he is fully man. What, again, Pastor Mike talked about last week. He is the the intersection between heaven and earth. When we, like this woman, when we're in our sin and we, we couldn't reach out to God, for some of us in here, we know that God went beyond any barrier and he reached out to us. He broke whatever barriers there were in our lives that were present and he did that through his grace. As we read the story of the, of the broken woman who meets Jesus, I hope that you guys were reminded of the greatness of God's grace even toward us. That Jesus met us where we were at some point. He sought us out and he provided us with living water. That living water that would then satisfy our souls. But again, picking up in verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask What do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? You guys, the disciples come onto the scene, and they're shocked that Jesus is talking to a woman. I even, in my own imagination, still think that they didn't even want or like the idea of going through Samaria, being Jewish men themselves. So they went to the store to get some food to maybe avoid some issues. Again, my imagination just rolling. But they come back on the scene, and as as the disciples come on the scene, we read that the Samaritan woman leaves the scene. But as she's leaving, none of these disciples even have the nerve to start a conversation. Maybe they're embarrassed, right? They don't want to even talk to Jesus about what's going on. But, but as, again, as, as these clueless disciples show up, the Samaritan woman is leaving the scene. And, and in her excitement to leave, she actually leaves her jar behind. The jar that she brought to get the water for today. When she gets back to the village, she tells everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So taking the two polar opposites, you have these clueless disciples who won't even engage in a conversation with Jesus about the Samaritan woman specifically. And then you have this witnessing woman who went back to her community to tell everybody about him. And in the spirit of true discipleship, she goes into the town to witness to them to proclaim of the good things that Jesus had done. And and to the exact people who had known her story up to this point, to the people who knew her mistakes, who knew her past, she went to proclaim. She just went to proclaim to them and be a witness. But, But here's the question. How could this woman, with her past, proclaim to them after what she had done? Here's where the rubber hits the road. It was not about what she had done. It was about what Jesus had done. She proclaims to the others in her village, don't look at me. Come. Look at Jesus. How desperately does our world, our workplace, our family, our sphere of influence, our friends, how desperately do they need to hear, come, See a man. Come. See a man. 
You guys, it's not our job to make Mountain View Fellowship known. Right? The name Mountain View Fellowship known. It's not our job to elevate ourselves for us to become somebody that everybody talks about. You know, it's our, it's our responsibility, it's our privilege for us to magnify Christ. Come, see a man. So to try to quickly wrap this up, John does not end the story with the conversation with the woman at the well. As a matter of fact, the conversation makes its way into Jesus explaining to the disciples about why he came. And, and that is the absolute urgency of the heart of Jesus to reach the lost. And how it doesn't stop there, it's twofold. He's invited us, he's welcomed us as his disciples to join him in that mission to reach the lost. It's an absolute pleasure that we get to meet here at any given day of the week. Like we have the Bible studies on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays, and we come in here on Sunday, and all that is amazing. But I pray that this story reminds us again of the mission to which we are called. We are recipients of God's grace and of the good things that he has done, but that we are then to go and proclaim that good news to others. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because a woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you've told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. So why did Jesus come? Jesus is the savior of the world. When Adam and Eve sinned, God clothed them in skin clothing, right? or clothing made from skin, if you will. And a little bit later during Passover, they, the Israelites were told that if they would put blood over their doorposts, that, they, that death would pass over their family. And then a little bit later, we have the Day of Atonement, where the high priest would make a sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. And I get, if you're not necessarily tracking where this is going, so let me say it a different way. God started it out where there was one lamb per person. And then at Passover, there was one lamb for the household. And at the Day of Atonement, which was later, there was one lamb for the entire nation of Israel. But when we get to the New Testament, we hear that when John saw Jesus coming, he declared, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm going to invite the, the choir and the band to come back out, but as they're doing that, I want to finish up with um, just a little tidbit here. Uh, something that I came across while, while researching for the, the message this week. And, and in that, it says, during the reign of Oliver Cromwell, there was a shortage of currency in the British Empire. Now, representatives, they carefully searched the nation in hopes of finding silver to meet that emergency. But after one month, the committee had returned with its report. We have searched the empire in vain, seeking to find silver. To our dismay, we found none, except in the cathedrals 
where the statues of the saints are made of choice silver. And to this, to this, Oliver Cromwell eloquently answered, eloquently answered, well, let's melt down the saints and put them into circulation. Family, it's time for us, the saints of this present age, to be put into circulation. 